Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Welcome to the Recall the Midwife podcast. Hello and welcome to Recall the Midwife. Today we're doing something a bit different. We're not watching an episode of Call the Midwife. We've actually read Shadows of the Workhouse and we're going through it. So it's a bit of a book club for you today. So I'm Alex. I'm Becky. I'm Jen. And just a quick reminder that this week's episode deals with themes in the book. So we're going to be discussing childhood trauma, abuse, extreme poverty, death and dying, incest in part one, and, you know, more in part two as well. But we'll get there. Yeah, it's a quite a long book. That's enough. For- <laughs> yeah. Oh, gosh, we're already biting off a lot. <laughs> the fact that the first part is called Workhouse Children is it's really bleak. Oh, my goodness gracious. Yeah. So so in this, we're going to do a two-parter for this because the book is is very good, but there's just a lot of content in here. So we're going to kind of organize it in the in a way like the book does. In part one of today's episode, we're going to talk about part one of the book, which is Workhouse Children. And that's going to cover a lot about Jane's story and then a lot about Frank and Peggy's story. And then also just kind of workhouse experiences and you know what the workhouse meant in terms of a legacy in Poplar when Jennifer Worth is there. And then in part two, we'll cover Sister Monica Joan and Joe Collett, the old soldier that Jenny gets very connected to. So there we go. Let's just dive right in, shall we? Yes. Can I just say straight off, I hate reading Cockney Rhyming Slam. Same, <laughs> same. It's, it's, I hate it's it. Just reading it is just... Oh. Yeah, but I don't think... Right, I'm, I'm going to slag Jenny Lee off here. Jenny Wirt, Jennifer Wirt. Yeah. Jenny, like I'm friends with her. 
I don't like the way I, there's V's in there. I just don't think it's written as it sounds either. It doesn't compute with my brain. Right, right. Well, I, I will had say, to scan over. I will say the, the when we read the first book, I did it as a book on tape to start. And then I had the physical book that I kind of reread to prep for the episode. And the lady who read the book for the audio version was like going full on West End Broadway. Yeah. You know what I mean? She had all the different voices and all the different accents and she was going, you know, all to town and everything. And it was, it didn't, it didn't feel very comfortable at times to listen to her, but at least she kind of tried to compensate for that, you know, by, you know, reading it and then giving it kind of more life as a spoken language. But yeah, I'm not, I'm not a huge fan of, fan of it either. It just makes it hard to read, honestly. Mm. It doesn't, it doesn't so much drop me into the world of like 1960s poplars. It just kind of like makes me have to like figure out what's, what's being said. But well, it just you know. grates on me. Also, <laughs> I'm a bit nervous because I'm not very good on book clubs. This is my second ever. The first was the first one we did. <laughs> well, you did great with the first one. I think thanks, both of you thanks. did. So I don't yeah, really think yeah. you guys have much to worry about, personally. I mean, we'll see how it goes. That's <laughs> okay, yeah. Let's not speak too quickly. <laughs> so the book starts with an introduction to Nanata's house, and then it goes into the workhouses. But there were a couple of parts that I just leapt out to me, which was mm-hmm. when they were referring to nurses and nuns. So when I literally t- have this highlighted Bex right there, right there. They, they talk about nursing. Nurses were commonly regarded as the dregs of female society. Okay. Well, if I was speaking to the government right now, they'd feel the same because there's been strikes, but carry on. <laughs> oh, yeah. And then later when they talk about convents, because they're obviously talking about Nanata's house, they say convents tend to attract within their portals ladies of middle years who are unable to cope with life in one way or another. God. I know. I felt like that was kind of, I mean, even if it's true, that just was, because, okay, so you you read the beginning. So then it says, I, I said, okay, but really rude. I said, um, they have unrealistic or romanticized ideas of monastic life and long to be a part of it. However, they often do not have a true vocation that would enable them to take the, live, the vows of poverty, chastity, and obedience, nor would they possess the strength of character necessary to live within these vows. So they hover on the fridge, neither fully within the world nor withdrawn from it. And I was like, Jennifer Worth, like, okay. I mean, even if something's true, like, there's ways to say it and that just really felt like a drag also knowing what women's role in society in general was during this time the way of saying ladies in the middle years who are unable to cope with life in one way or another they're always single widowed or divorced and lonely it's like well think about what society was like for women in that life experience at that time and Mm. then maybe it's not so much that they can't cope but like the world around them has made it so uncomfortable for them to exist that then that's why they're having an issue you know what i mean like i just i was like a little and the thing is like okay i get it like jennifer worth is like a woman of her time but like she published this book. Wait, when did she publish this? I think it was like 2010 or 20, 2012 or whatever. My copy says 2005. Okay, so like still early aughts. But it's like, it's not the 1960s anymore. Like I just think like a little bit of, I don't know, a little bit of a different kind of thought about that would be nice. Like a little bit more of expanded opinion. But I do have to say, I do have a bit of a downer on Jennifer Worth in this first, this first hey, part of the book. The way she talks about Jane. Oh, you know, we thought she did chummy dirty, but Jane, she gets roasted, like truly. So, like she, t- like she, there's even a line later on where she says something like Jane, something, 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 and then like we all had a laugh at her. Ex- oh, this is it. it. Says once after Jane had been to visit Peggy and Frank, she said wistfully, "If only I had a brother, I would be happy. If I had a brother." Later, Trixie said acerbically, "It's a lover she needs, not a brother." I mean, that's a foreshadowing, but and then she goes, "We all had a good laugh at Jane's expense." Yeah. Just not just I mean maybe she's telling on herself and like in hindsight 
because she feels bad. But I don't ever get the sense that she like is reflecting like, oh, you know, I was really hard on this poor woman who'd absolutely been tortured, tortured in her childhood and permanently damaged by it. And now I'm just going to basically treat her like she's this, you know what I mean? But she just slagged loads of women off, said how awful they were and all this and basically slagging these women, like, as you said before, and then says such a lady was Jane. (laughs) (laughs) So we we know Jane from the series and she comes to Nanata's house from St Gideon's yes but in actual fact Jane comes from the workhouse she's the legacy of the workhouse yeah which I wonder I wonder if if the idea in transferring Jane's story to the show was that a person like Jane after the workhouses were closed didn't have anywhere to go so maybe they thought okay well we'll put her in St Gideon's and then she can kind of be there I didn't I didn't did she say it was maybe to tie up with the fact that they were doing an episode of St Gideon's and kind of show Oh, background okay. about people that grow up there, kind of thing. Yeah, that's a good the point. Book, yeah, the book doesn't actually. It talks about how Peggy and Frank left the workhouse, but it doesn't actually talk about how Jane left the workhouse. No, right. it just seems like she's at Nonata's house for a long, long time, and then Jennifer Worth gets there, and then all this stuff happens with Jane in her life, which is actually quite wonderful and we'll get there and talk about that but yeah it just seems like she's kind of a fixture by the time Jennifer Worth gets there in terms of the real life person yeah she also calls her a dimwit which made me really angry oh she's just she's just so she's just so rude about her like also can I just say what's this thing with the honey stirrer (gasps) is it something I'm missing oh oh, wait a minute oh the the Christmas present for Sister Julian yeah it's a dildo right I did wonder if it could be but I thought why would they be selling that so brazenly (laughs) in the markets in in like the 50s 60s well I think it's I think it's like I think it's like just like it's wooden so you know okay what what is it right but I think it's kind of like yeah it's like a gag almost and then you know like they probably have a lot of other random stuff and then you know that's what I took it to mean basically well I I wondered if it was that but then I thought "Mm, I might be thick so i was carry on yeah like, do we need a... to explain that more for the listeners yes i'll oh, let you okay. back yeah you go ahead back you started it Alex. <laughs> <laughs> so basically she slags jane off going on all about how awkward she looks how awful she looks how even if there's some redeeming features that she's got she frames them wrong her hair's all awful she dresses awful she she cuts she her stands yeah. awful just oh, she's just slagging Jane off left, right, and centre, despite knowing all about her. She's got a really nervous disposition, but instead of being sympathetic to that, she just derides her for it. And then yeah. she tells well, she's, a story. She's like, she's like, I would feel bad if she wasn't so annoying. And she's like, even though I understand why she's annoying, she still annoys me and it like drives me crazy. And I really had no patience for her. And the only one that seemed to have endless patience for Jane was Sister Julianne. Yeah, of, of course, of course. So Jenny, I'm going to say Jenny Lee, but Do it's it. not as Jennifer <laughs> So she's basically shopping with Jane on the market. It's coming up to Christmas time and they approach this stall and there's essentially a wooden dildo for sale. Yeah. He's like, which we do see on the show. We do see on the show because they have one, don't they, when they're doing, um, is it Mother Yeah, that's NHS educational purposes. I didn't think you'd be knocking about on a market. Well, the wood whittler is obviously selling them. Yeah. So True. Jane Jane inquires what it is, and the market store holder is obviously having a laugh at her expense. And she says that she thinks she'll buy he's he says that it's a honey stirrer. And why didn't Jenny tell her though? That's what oh, I don't understand. This so, drove me crazy. 
she says that she's going to buy it for Sister Julienne for a Christmas present. The market, the market okay. holder is just egging her on because he just thinks it's going to be hilarious. And then she really innocently buys it for Sister Julienne. Sister Julienne, bless her, she opens it and is so discreet because obviously they're all opening presents around the table. Mm-hmm. And she sees what it is, immediately closes the box and but and kind of says, thank you, Jane, that's so thoughtful of you. Why did Jennifer Worth let her do it? I, f- I felt that was very cruel. I mean, and not even just only Jennifer Worth, but like all of the girls that had been with her at the time, or if someone had said something when they got home. And then I, I was like, Cynthia, why don't you go and tell her? Like, it's like... That Jane's there eagerly, so excited to give it to her in front of everyone. Yeah. I'm just like, why would you let her do that? Yeah. Yeah. And by the way, like, dear listeners, if you haven't read the book, like, we won't, we won't, we don't need to grow into it to, like, kind of be vulgar, but, like, Jennifer Worth, like, really spells out that this is exactly what the gift is. It's like, you know, like, it's not really, there's really no other way you can think about it. It's like a small wooden object, five or six inches long, nearly but not quite round and smooth, a a ridge running up the underside towards a pronounced rim, like, you know, a hole in the center. And then, and then the guy says, it's like, you know, basically he, he mimes how you would use it in front of all the girls and it kind of I guess to Jane's very innocent very genuinely very very innocent eyes she's like oh really okay well like that makes sense she's like I never would have thought of it but and then she says and then she even says she says I suppose it must be used a lot by country people who keep bees and he says oh yes country people they use it all the time and then she says I'm sure it must be very useful and all the girls again are just just watching this go down and and oh it's oh it's just so painful it's just well, then so she painful. goes more into jane's story about the fact that yeah. later i discovered that jane had t- spent 20 years in domestic service she'd been put into service at the age of 14 and she talked about the fact she had to be up at 4am to fetch the wooden coal clear the graves and light the fires oh and do you know who i thought of then daisy from uh, downton abbey downton abbey oh, so should we, talk yes. about, should we talk about how jane peggy and frank ended up at the workhouse um yes Although just to say like one last thing before, before, because again, we're just going to roast Jennifer Lee. She goes, so Jane is very, very nervous. She's like extremely anxious person, like really just like constantly second guessing, constantly feeling worried about everything she does. Like it says, I remember an occasion at Nana's house when Jane spilled a drop of milk on the floor. She trembled and whimpered, I'll clean it up. I'll clean it up. I'll do it. She then proceeded to wash the entire kitchen floor, including moving all the tables and chairs. No one could stop her. She insisted on doing the whole kitchen. I asked Sister Julianne why she behaved in this way. Sister Julianne says she was utterly crushed as a child she will never get over it jane seldom went out and never left nana's house for a night the only person she was ever known to visit was peggy who lived on the isle of dogs with her brother frank and it's just like so just to get a picture like jane is a very very you know like she's got a real specific set of issues and they're very apparent to everyone also can i just say on in comparison to the actual character of jane on the tv i think they did it very well she was a very nervous disposition really sweet like she's yeah. kind of said she is at the times as well. But also mm-hmm. she was always dropping stuff and nervous yeah. energy. Yeah. And mm-hmm. there's a scene on the show when in Peggy and Frank's episode where, do you remember when Fred comes in with the pig and Peggy's just finished cleaning the floor? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And then the pig comes across the floor and then Frank comes in and finds Peggy and Peggy's kind of muttering to herself because the pig's gone across the floor and she's having to clean it all again. And I just thought that description, that, that paragraph that you've just read, Jen. Yeah. I thought in the show that was kind of that representation of, of what Jane was like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like they've kind of shared that part of the book. 
with both characters on the TV. Yeah, there was a lot of crossover. Yeah, it was really interesting that in the book, Peggy and Jane are so connected. Like, they're really, like, it's not like almost best friends. And in the show, they didn't have any of that backstory or context. In fact, they were completely different ages, I think, in the... the, Because Peggy's actually younger than Jane in the book. In the book, Peggy is a couple years younger than Jane. But in the show, I feel like Jane was younger than Peggy. Exactly, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, so, yeah. It well, was very I feel different. like while we're on Jane, let's stay with Jane. Let's go to her early life. So, <laughs> so, ju- so just to give a little bit of context, so we did this kind of in the first book as well because um, Jenny talks about the workhouse. But the the story here is that every you know, like a lot of these are kind of like what happens to people after the workhouse in the workhouse, but then kind of the legacy that it carries on in their life. She says, you know, the 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 whole point of the workhouses was to kind of solve the problem of like poverty and you know, kind of perpetual you know, kind of like suffering and at the lower kind of ends of society in terms of um, economic class and she says in 1801 the population of England and Wales and Scotland was around 10.5 million but by 1851 it had doubled to 20 million and by 1901 it had doubled again to 45 million farms could not feed such numbers of people or provide them with employment the government of the day could not cope with the problem which accentuate which, which accentuated the land enclosure and the corn laws industrialization and the lure of employment drew people from the villages in large numbers overcrowding poverty hunger destitution increased exponentially and the poor at law act was inadequate to deal with the number of emerging poor so they had to do something they had to think of something so it says parliament and fort reformers constantly debated schemes to change and improve they set up a royal commission they amended the act in 1834 small parish poor houses were closed and unions were required to pri- provide large houses each designed to accommodate several hundred people the aim was that quote the poor shall be set to work and they shall dwell in the working houses. And so union workhouses were born. Each was run by a master and his wife who were responsible for day-to-day administration, together with a number of paid, paid officers who assisted them all. Responsibility was in the hands of the local board of guardians and they were par- financed by the poor law rate and through government loans that had to be repaid. Running costs were met be met by local rates, but none but income could also be generated through the work of the inmates. So you're already starting to see the issue here, right? It can mm-hmm. be argued that the worst workhouse system was the first attempt at social welfare in this country certainly it was intended as a safety net to house and feed the very poorest of society and it laid the foundations for our modern welfare state in this respect it was nearly a hundred years ahead of its time yet the implementation of the high ideals of the reformers and legislators went tragically wrong workhouses came to be dreaded as places of shame suffering and despair people would offer rather have died to go there um my grant and then she says horrible other things that i we if you want to read the book, you can read them. But anyways, but the thing is, it says the original policy with that was that the workhouse should be a place of last resort. Therefore, conditions inside a workhouse should be less comfortable than a state of homeless destitution outside. Well, they got so that just, bit right. Yeah, exactly. So just just a little. I, I'm always on my soapbox, girls. It's just a little word to say. The idea, okay, is good, but basically what they set up is a system that is designed to be exploited. Okay, it's basically you know poverty for profit. All right, because you can exploit the people inside of them. The rules and none of number none of the governance has oversight that's in any way like meaningful or functional. You can profit off of the work of the people that are inside of it. So the the point then would be to give as little to the people inside as you possibly can. Get the most profit. out of them so that you can make the most money so you're basically Mm -hmm. just like you know 1000% exploiting the people that are inside it and exploiting I think it's a kind way to put it and then next again this idea that poor people have to be punished for being poor right you have to make them feel the pain of their poverty as a way to somehow teach them a lesson about it which I won't go into it but it's just a terrible way to look at the problem okay it's just a terrible way to look at any part of this so just you have created a absolute 
recipe for disaster. Yeah. But but also, also when they when they talk about the staff, they describe them as all sorts of petty dictators who enjoyed wielding power. Yeah. Well, Jane, back to Jane, she was born yep. in a workhouse. Well yeah. yeah, she was. But when you talk when you're talking about the, the fact that they actually exploit people. So when we're talking about the work people are actually doing in the workhouse, um, it describes in one workhouse where there was a corn mill and the men had to push round and round for hours and end, but it had no function. It was grinding nothing. So they're essentially just working but not actually producing anything. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's a line. So pointless, profitless work was introduced to keep the poppers busy. And I, you know, you just said it, like, but there's lots of things. Oh, and by the way, I okay. Okay, let's just give Jennifer Worth like a, a quick second. She says it's easy at this distance of time to be critical. Yeah, absolutely. And to sneer at what we call, quote, Victorian hypocrisy. But we should remember that this was the first attempt at a form of social welfare. And mistakes will all be me- always be made in any pri- pioneering venture. Numerous reports were commissioned and published during the century of workhouse existence, and many attempts at reform and improvement were made. I'm gonna give her I'm gonna give her like a C plus on that one. You know what I mean? Like she raises a good point that, like, yeah, obviously, like when you're trying something for the first time, you're not gonna get it right immediately. But I also so don't think that I the legacy of this is horrifying also like as we saw with Mrs. Jenkins in the first book when the poor houses ultimately got closed because they realized this is a terrible thing that they've done they didn't really set anyone up in a good way they just kind of kicked you out with like a little bit of money and then like something like as a token of your time there and they basically just shut them down they didn't offer an alternative or a better way and I don't know what you guys I mean now you guys have lots of social welfare programs now and obviously the US has different you know history of, of this kind of stuff like that we didn't have workhouses in the US but we had we had a lot of other things like that went on but i don't know i i well, don't if we, i get her we'll point talk but about I'm it kind in of... part two but obviously this yeah. one you know in the joe collip situation yeah there was that kind of thing happening but we'll talk about that more mm-hmm. but back so, to jane <laughs> jane was born <laughs> in the workhouse her mom basically got pregnant and yes. there was rumors that it was by someone parliamentary someone high up in parliament mm-hmm. yeah it was rumored just... that her father was a high class gentleman distinguished in parliament his wife yeah. found him in bed with a servant girl and this girl was immediately dismissed and went to the workhouse so jane was stayed with her mother while she was breastfed and then she was basically separated from her mother and then never saw her mother again which i don't know how she found out about her dad i th- it does say that they th- um she thought as a child she'd overheard the staff talking about oh, it oh right mm. so oh yeah the jane- master and mistress are talking about jane yeah yeah so as as jane's grown up in the workhouse i mean the descriptions of jane when she's a little girl as well um oh. yeah it just said no amount of smacks or punishments could subdue jane's bubbling laughter and joie de vivre i've pronounced that horribly and then when it describes what she looked like she <laughs> we're all thinking it <laughs> <laughs> she was a good deal taller than average and also prettier with her dark curls and clear blue eyes. And then it was just when you to hear about Jenny talk about her later. Yeah, I know. I know. Um, I mean, and then and then the other thing she says is worse than this, which is which was bad enough. She was a great deal more intelligent than most of the other children, and the master and mistress feared an intelligent child. Ugh. I mean, I was actually we, quite shocked to hear they went to school. Well, I think it was. I mean, it sounds like they if they could have avoided it, they would have. I mean, I, oh yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, I think I think they only went to school because the kids were so little that it was like, well, they're not really useful to be working at this point. Like I'm sure once everyone turned like ten or eleven, it was like they were put to work in like the washrooms and the stone floor cleaning I mean I'm sure they got jobs as soon as they could but when there's I mean the thing is we when we meet Jane and we start really hearing her story it says you know blah 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 she was six years old so we're talking about a really little kid here which 
absolutely makes what happens to her so heartbreaking and i'll just say like when i read this part what's going to happen i i don't i didn't have this reaction because i don't really react this way but if there was ever something that i would go through that would make me feel like physically ill that a story like this would be it it was well the age is very similar to my daughter isn't it and i was just like oh god i know i know i mean if you've ever been around a six or seven year old kid and then you think about something like that happen or if you if you think about yourself when you were that age and then you think about something like this happening to you oh, i doesn't even bear thinking about no it's terrible it's terrible oh um, but she was she was full of mischief like she was constantly entertaining yeah all the other kids like it was worth it to get a laugh out of everybody she would get punished but it was worth she it. Care. But yeah, she would, she, also, she would also take the fall for people. Like if something yeah. happened and, and the other girls and someone else had genuinely done it and then they caught and they said, oh, who did this? Like you're going to get a lashing or whatever. She would take she would take it for people. Like, like this one, it says, Jane said, I did it. And then she was taken to the discipline room. You know, she was beaten severely on her bare bottom. She could not sit down for several days. She was only seven years old. But she, but she, but her spirit wasn't broken. Like she could, she still kept having a lot of like joy, exhilaration, intelligence. She because really she thought job. she was from a parliamentary dad and she thought her dad was the prime minister or someone high up and they were going to come and get her. Yeah, so exactly. cut to this, the chapter called Sir Ian Astor Smalley. Can I just say at this point, in in the series I've got the same um, note I think is it um when Gummy's sister dad. Evangelina is the girls are talking about the workhouse and sister Evangelina kind of lectures them and says have you have any of you ever like seen inside of a workhouse and then chummy chummy speaks up well my grandpa set up a holiday fund that's exactly what I put I put I thought it was a dad but it's a granddad and um, I put here <laughs> grandpa this is this is the chummy. This is the chummy bit from the from the series. They've obviously taken that part yeah. and given it to chummy, haven't they? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So anyway, this uh, Ian Astor Smalley comes and she thinks it's her dad. Yeah. Because he's obviously a, a gentleman and he's dressed much nicer than others. And he comes to tell. Well, the also, just, also just to say, in when she started going to school, she found like an encyclopedia or something. Oh, yeah. And in there was a picture of, quote, a member of parliament. And it was a guy who just looked like a certain type of guy. Like he had gray hair. He had a certain type of beard dress a certain type of way and so even though it was kind of a generic photo or or generic image jane was like oh that's my dad and then when she saw sir ian smalley he was obviously styled the exact same way and so then she was like oh well that she kind of assumed you know what i mean she just didn't kind of she, she wasn't putting two and two together because she was so little you know but she just kind of thought oh well this guy is the same guy so anyways yeah so she thought he was a dad basically and yeah. then when he actually turned up, she, I don't know, what, what terminology would they use? She was... Well, they were all, they were all in line to say hello to him. And then, and then she was the one that kind of like jumped out of line when it was her turn. And she like physically gave him a hug and said, yeah. I what love, do you I call it when, you, when you're doing, daddy. why is my brain not working? What do you call it when they're... Oh, genuflect? When they're, when, Cur- they're, when she's not curtsy, showing the line. Do you know what I mean? Oh, acting out? When she's disobedient? being disobedient to them kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. And so the so then then when she hugs him and says like I love you daddy or hello daddy or something like that, then the master gets really mad. And Serene is like, "Oh no, it's fine. Like jolly young lass or whatever like that." And it's like, "Oh, ha ha ha." And then they're like, "Okay." And then he like leaves. And then basically they take Jane away to this disciplinary room to put a nicer name on it. Mm, they called it a exhibitionism, didn't they? Yeah. Yeah. Mm. 
Oh. And basically, yeah, they, they took her down to the cellars and um, they absolutely beat her to within an inch of her life. And obviously they, humi- they told her that wasn't a dad. Yeah, they well. said it wasn't her dad. They Which broke they, her spirit. They humiliated her. They embarrassed her. They physically beat her and abused her. In fact, they ha- they stopped at a certain point because they were afraid if they kept going, they were going to kill her. Yeah. And she was so torn up by the end of it, literally and figuratively. And that they she- said, kept saying, say, Sir Ian Astor Smolly is not my father say it mm-hmm. and then so they did that and she was really really poorly for a long time it took I mean, her weeks had, and weeks had, to recover physically she had to she have never somebody like mentally. nursing her to keep her going yeah because if she didn't she would have died which luckily there was one nice lady who worked there that was willing to actually like care for her wounds and everything like that they wanted her to go to school the next day and she physically couldn't so she had to take like two weeks off of school which they were mad at her about anyway and then by the time she went back to school her teacher that she that loved her that she loved was like oh where's where's my where's jane and everything and then by the time she came back jane was literally just like a shell of what she'd oh. done before and the teacher was shocked at what she saw exactly but also worse than that this is how intent they were on breaking her spirit not mm-hmm. only had they done that to her and she was a completely different child and you know because she used to love in school and thrive in school mm-hmm. but then all the kids in the workhouse went on this holiday and she didn't they still carried it on that far to break her yeah. like literally six months later like literally yeah. six months later they didn't forget and she didn't get to go on the trip oh yeah Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. And the thing is, I think they actually, I think they actually caused her brain damage when they, when they were beating her as well. Oh, yeah. Not just, I mean, emotional damage for sure. I mean, they actually... front cortex. Don't even know if that's the... uh... <laughs> if that's the terminology, but I wrote that. Yeah, there. yeah, yeah, definitely. Oh, oh my god, it was oh, terrible. Okay, so that's her. That's her childhood, like with that she's kind of Trump coming from. And should we jump to her adult life? Yes, which is so much nicer. Bless her though. She's obviously got awful issues from the fact that she's so nervous, which I think the TV show did very much reflect. Yeah, because yeah. when we when we spoke about Jane before, we kind of said she's obviously got anxiety. Like we didn't, we weren't sure what her background was. No, mm-hmm. but we kind of spoke about the fact she was very nervous and anxious. And now we're you serious know- podcasters doing this. We've done our research. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> and, uh- <laughs> well, I, I will say, you know, the scene where where in the in the TV show where Jane is going to meet Reverend Appleby Thornton for a date and then she gets there and then she just gets too freaked out because like the boys are starting to harass each other and then yeah. Appleby Thornton steps in and everything and then she's just like, I don't even know if I can go on the date, but she's standing there, but she wants to go, but she feels scared. And then she runs back to her room and she just like jumps on her bed and she starts crying. That I I really felt at the time that I when I first watched it, I was kind of like, okay, I mean, I get it, but I also was like, do I really get it? I, I don't know. This 
story absolutely made me look at that whole thing in such a different light, such a different light. And I, I almost was, it was, I mean, the thing that they did in the show was kind of like take away a little bit of the intensity of the story of the book to kind of fit it into the, the narrative that was going on in the show. But what I liked was that while all of the horrible things in Jane's life in the book were so much more amplified because of the, the, the telling, of, telling of it, I also felt that her adult life and the happiness that comes from the experience we're about to talk about was also like times a hundred from what we got on the show too. So it was like such yeah. an emotional roller coaster for me reading this book in that way. Also, Reverend Appleby Thornton, completely different in the book. To, like, obviously the character was very much the same, I think. But yeah. uh, the, don't get me wrong, the actor who played him was amazing, but he was a short, bald man. In this, he was very tall. Yeah, handsome. Box, by the sound of it. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and like and like an aristocrat and all this kind of stuff. And it was like, oh, goodness gracious. I loved it. Shall I read the description of him? A tall, distinguished man of around 50. He was good looking with fine, slightly sharp features and a sensitive mouth. I don't know what sensitive mouth means. I mean, um, I, I don't really know what it means either. I was going to try to make some weird, <laughs> creepy joke about it, but I'm like, I don't I don't really know what it's supposed to I just thought it meant either. like quite a, quite a thin lips. I didn't realize it meant anything like, you know. I don't know. I've... I wouldn't have said thin lips. I, to me to me that would i guess I, anyway i don't know i don't know we can all we can all debate but anyway it's just a handsome guy basically like a tall handsome guy essentially is oh, how i'm so it. glad she got a tall handsome guy though but again the tv show did depict this very well sister julianne yeah, doing some, did. Uh, some matchmaking it was very similar so and the, how the and it's also the reverend mr appleby thornton yeah oh it's a, quite a mouthful every time we talk about him but it's he came back from missionary work he was doing he was basically staying with loads of friends around the country and then he came to poplar to stay with yeah he kind of because he kind of burnt out his welcome at a couple of places wait bex i just have to i just have to keep going on your on your in the part of the part part that just describes him it says okay he had deep kindly voice and kindly eyes that looked at each person around the table with intelligent understanding if he spoke directly to anyone his attention was so focused and so penetrating that he seemed to be able to read the mind and character of the person he was speaking to yeah because there's a bit I... where he's talking to chummy and she it so kind nervous. of says yeah also jennifer worth sounds like she's a bit in love with him also, yeah down, reverend appleby thornton and it just said rat and i thought i don't know if that's a good <laughs> <laughs> no 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 no, no. But anyway, so basically they're sitting around and and I think Sister Julian kind of takes the measure of him very quickly. And he is a very sweet, wonderful man, but he's also kind of an intense person at the same time. And so they're so blah blah blah. They kind of in the same as the show. They basically assign him to Jane, essentially. Like like Sister Julian is like, you know who would really love to hang out with you all day? Jane. Jane, Jane, Jane. But she well, did take pleasure in listening to his stories, like they said in the show. Right. Well, and he and his and his attention and his sensitivity, as they describe in the book, I think was perfect for her because he like someone who was so maybe patient. sensitive mouth was saying that he's very sensitive in the way he speaks to people and talks. Yeah, like he oh, yeah. Anyway, he kind of has a soft softness and everything. Very much oh. like myself. Right. But then the thing is, so it says, however, so Sister Julian says, he's like, he's like, who can I go out with this afternoon? I'd really like to see about all this nursing practice. And then just says, and then Sister Julian says, um, oh, none of the sisters will be available. Like, sorry, da 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 da. And then, he, and then he's like, oh, I'm so disappointed. And then she's like, yeah, it's so busy. But she's like, however, Jane is available this afternoon. And then she says, at this poor, at this, poor Jane nearly fell off her chair, knocking over a salt and pepper Aww. dish of 
sauce, which she, which slid greenly across the table. And then she says, and Jane, who knows the district so well, would be delighted to accompany you. And then she's like, okay, like it's settled. That's what's happening. Well, then fast forward. Okay. So then sister is telling Jane to go do this and this and da da da. And then sister Julianne comes to Jenny and she's like, oh, you know, why don't you take Jane and like get her a haircut, get her some new clothes? You know, where do you get your clothes? Like, I think maybe Jane could like get some new things, you know, like kind of spruce herself up a little bit. This is where it comes to Becky, because where, Becky, did Jenny Lee take Jane? To Liberty's on Regent Street, which is my favourite shot. The only time I've ever been is when you've taken me there. Yeah, so if any of our listeners don't know, because obviously a lot of listeners don't live in the UK, and even if you live in the UK, you might not have been, because Alex has only been because she's been with me. Um, Liberty's is a department store, but it's a really old building. So it's an old like Tudor building, which is built from an old ship, isn't it? Yeah, I'm going to say yes, I've no idea. Yeah, so the, it's like a an old Tudor building. Like when you get in there, it's just it looks really historic, and um, it's just your classic department store. But it's just the nicest shopping. Like I love it's going, in like Cruella as well around this time. Yes, it is. If you've ever watched Cruella, the new one with Emma Stone, it is. She goes and works in Liberties, doesn't she? Yes. So if is you do want to look at what it would yeah. Liberty of London. Isn't it Liberty of London? Yeah, it is. She, it, they do say, because I didn't know if they'd renamed it, but no, she. It, they do say it's Liberty of London. Yeah. Well, and I'll, and I'll just say this. I know Liberty because they also have like a lot of, you know, they do a lot of like textiles and stationery and things yes. like that. Yes. And they're very famous for their like fabrics and prints. And, you know, and when you, when you know a Liberty print, when you see it, you'll, you know it. Yeah, it's very distinctive. I mean, these days I can't afford to really buy anything in there, but I like to, I, I like to just go and window shop. If we oh, go to yes, London, very... me and Bex go there. Yeah. And when you come, Jen, we'll do it too. Yeah, we'll I've never the... been in there. I'd love to well, go. Do you know what? When we do... Oh, you, oh my God, you would you buy so it, much yeah. in the stationery hall. Oh, God. What po- we need I'm to possibly... do when we do the, when we do the uh, Call the Midwife tour is then go to Liberty. Because also this actually, it refers to Jane as well. So it's, yes, it's of... that's a good way to tie it up. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Anyway, so Jane gets Jane gets this big makeover. I loved the description of it about how, because she actually was complimentary to Jane saying how the blue brought out her eyes and the lilac brought her eyes. It was actually really lovely. Well, yeah, it's but... about time because earlier, we did, when we were talking about Jennifer Worth talking about Jane, we did, uh, there was one quote that we didn't mention where she, she refers to as repressed, dried up Jane. So it's about time she did throw a compliment can i just say mm-hmm. what i found most lovely about this whole makeover all the nuns and everyone were like oh beautiful but you know who didn't notice rat reverend appleby thornton <laughs> so he was already taken in by her beauty her well, beautiful he just thought, character. yeah he just thought the world of her regardless so yeah exactly that's that's what i'm taking it from not that he's a man who doesn't notice anything but still Love it. Yeah. So a two-week stay at the rectory was lengthened to six, and that day by day, bit by bit, Jane began to look more relaxed and happy and less chronically nervous. Oh, Love God. it. Reverend Appleby Thornton's father really loved Jane, which I really like as well for her. Like she was really felt welcome and important. Mm-hmm. So, and they had a bit of a, his father didn't, uh, similar to Sister Monica Joan, I suppose, he didn't really like the fact that he'd gone into the church. Yeah. yeah. So they had a bit of a strained relationship. And we should also say that Jane has now started to refer to him as Pip, which is what all of his friends call him. His name is Pippin. I love it. I just I love, love it. it. Oh my God, it, wait. It, it made says, me want to have a child and call it Pippin. Jane's hand was resting on the table. He, Pippin, he touched it lightly and gave it a little squeeze. She blushed and murmured, oh, Pip. 
<laughs> oh, I love it and I hate it all at once. <laughs> oh, it's like it's if it wasn't like it, things like that can be so kind of like cringe or like just like oh okay we get it you're like in love or whatever but like it's so deserved in this case I know. you know what I mean it's like you literally couldn't want happiness for anyone more I mean Shane Oh. they both are such sweet people but Jane especially deserves this I I mean know. Well, my it reminds god me, my daughter's going through a stage at the moment of loving romantic scenes, but also hating romantic scenes. So she loves the watching it, but then makes me fast forward loads. <laughs> she might got the cringe, but she loves it all at the same time. So then we always go back and watch it again and she loves it, but hates it. That's kind of how I felt about that because I loved it so much, but it's also a bit bleh. So wait, she Well, I was, she... I was surprised by this because Pip, I'm just going to call him Pip because it's a mouthful. Pip asks Jane to accompany him to his house and he speaks to Sister Julian about it. I'm surprised. I mean, it was, I guess, it's not like he'd invited Trixie, which is, I'm shaming Trixie there. But I'm surprised that they didn't think she needed a... Escort or anything. Chaperone. Yeah, not a, a chaperone, that's the word. Escort's <laughs> the wrong word I used. But, <laughs> well, I'm not because also I think Sister Julianne's a bit like, you know, half DM, she's lived an awful life. So what if she has a bit of premarital sex? Let's her. Oh, God, yeah. I mean, no, I just love this. The Reverend and Mrs. Appleby Thornton returned to Poplar a few days before they sailed for Sierra Leone. Oh. I have never in my life seen a woman so changed. She was tall and regal. Her eyes were smiling and a calm confidence seemed to spring from deep within her. Pippin hardly took his eyes off her and always referred to her as my dear wife or my beloved Jane. See, I love this so much. I'm a feminist, and but you don't need a man to make you feel this way or give you any validation. But my God, did I love this? Oh, I love it. Wait, listen. It Pippin goes against gave everything a... in my ethos, but I loved I know, it. I know. I and Normally I would hate this kind of thing, but it's so sweet. Pippin gave a delightful speech. The length of the phrases and the exact ex extravagance of the language about pearls of great price and the best wine being served last was lost on many people. But the gist of the message was that he was the luckiest man alive and everyone cheered. Now, this is exactly what I wanted for Jane. And this was what, when she vanished, Oh, just... Yeah. We were cheated this of this. was, yeah. But I don't understand why, because they could have literally, there have Come been back so in many a Christmas. scenes They where could have they've come been. back in the Christmas episode and just been like, oh, we're passing through on our way to Sierra Leone. Yeah. But I think I would have done it where they could have literally, sit, they're sitting around the breakfast table. Someone could have opened a letter from them just saying, oh, but they've safely arrived in I'm Sierra hoping Leone. that's on a cutting room floor and it just didn't make the edits of time. But to, I'm hoping they did plan that because Yeah, because it's I just... don't understand why they never tied that up. Because it And was they must so have easy. known she was a fan favourite because she was brilliant. She was really well portrayed by the actress who played her. She was brilliant, really lovable, really charming. It just really annoyed me. I Justice know. for Jane. We've said it before. We'll say it again. Justice for Ugh. Jane. It's one of the few things where I just really feel like it was a missed opportunity to give her something a little bit extra. Yeah. Well, So should we talk? Oh, sorry. well, I was just going to do a brilliant segue into speaking of extra. Uh, let's go into <laughs> uh, Peggy and uh, Frank. yeah. Peggy and Frank. So Pe Jane knew Peggy and Frank from the workhouse. Peggy and Frank arrive in the workhouse. So Peggy was a baby. Frank was, was Frank three or four? Oh, Uh, Peggy uh, was Peggy two. was two and Frank was six. Yeah. He was four when she was born. Well, do you know what really annoyed me as well? So Jennifer Worth, basically, when she first describes Jane in the book, because we've gone back into the book a bit, she really slags off the way Jane looks. But the way Peggy looks, my goodness, she could not have been more complimentary. Oh, No one well, could the describe thing is... Peggy as plump. Voluptuous would be a better description. Her softly rounded curves spoke eloquently of ease and comfort. Her large grey eyes, fringed with dark curling lashes, had a sensuous quality in their dreamy depths. Was Jane, was Jane in love with her or something? Like... <laughs> No, but the thing is, 
Jennifer Worth is like so she's like stereotypical Barbie, right? You know what I mean? Like we all saw the movie. Like she like Jennifer Worth is like, if you are conventionally attractive, I am gonna absolutely sing your praises to the moon. And if you're not, then you know what? I kind of don't care. I mean, like she just she she reinforces that all the time because she even talks herself about how like when she gives Jane the makeover, she goes to Monsieur Jacques and like she shops at like Shay Juarez or whatever like that. And she's like, but maybe that's too like, you know, amazing for Jane because I don't want to be her her to be overwhelmed or whatever. Like Jenny thinks she's gorgeous. She always recognizes other people's like beauty and sensuality and whatever else. But if you're not inside with that with that kind of model of like good looks is, she just is kind of like a whatever about you. Well, this is a line I liked and really resonated with me. Her beautiful skin in which the only wrinkles were laughter lines around her eyes made her look about 30. But in fact, she too was approaching 45. Oh, how old? Poor her. <laughs> Oh, crone where's the you know get the deathbed ready she's going oh god and she does she does say Pe- peggy looked at least 20 years younger than jane and actually peggy is only like two or three years younger than two jane. or three years yeah so peggy and frank's father died first so he was always well but he died of tuberculosis yeah is that right tuberculosis no, no i think it was like pneumatic typhoid wait no i have read the book Oh, no, no, no. He, okay. he, typhoid. You're right. Typhoid. Typhoid. Yeah, typhoid well yeah. done, Bex. Mm-hmm. Well, no, it took me two guesses to get that. So, so then their mother, who their mother had suffered from ill health and she had a weak chest, she basically worked as a cleaner trying to support them. Mm-hmm. Um, she was working. On an, and her death was horrific. She was yeah, working on a night shift. She wasn't well. She had to get a bucket of water. She basically dropped the bucket fell down some stairs it soaked her and she was in this freezing office and she basically died and froze to death girls i'm not slagging jennifer lee off and i am a bit but how does she know all this so in depth oh i think this is i think this is dramatic license exactly that's exactly what i was about to say yeah she doesn't know she doesn't know every detail even frank and peggy wouldn't know to that extent exactly how the mother died no 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 i mean the thing is i almost felt like i was getting a cold when i listened to how frank's mother passed away like the whole thing about the driving rain and the with the soaking clothes and the too short bus ride and the cup of tea that barely took the edge off of her freezing fingertips how would a six-year-old relay that story in the future like they wouldn't I have to touch on this bit because they talk about Frank when Peggy is born <laughs> this bit and this is too much and I'm just, I apologize listeners so he's talking about the fact that his mum's just had this baby how Jennifer Worth is knows this the most exactly. fascinating thing of all was to watch his mother breastfeeding the baby and he tried never to be far away when this mysterious and beautiful ritual was going on he kept very quiet crept close to his mother and watched spellbound as the baby sucked and the milk oozed from her, the nipple like yeah. that's, that's too much and too weird yeah, but also didn't... like as if he said that to her you know what i really liked watching it quietly <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I think there was a, I think there was a lot of creative license take. I mean, spellbound, she... spellbound, it was rubbish. And I was thinking, what if Frank or Peggy's children are reading this? But then I was like, no, they're not. Because yeah. <laughs> no, they're really not. Nice. They're <laughs> really not. No. Nope, so nope. Peggy and Wait. Frank's parents die, and they. And they have to go to the house. Right, exactly. And he's very protective of her because she's only two, but he also encounters Jane, who's also very lovely and protective of her. 
And he's very pre- yeah. pleased with that because obviously the girls go with the girls and the boys go with the girls a lot of the time for sleeping and everything like that. So Frank gets into a fight when he arrives at the workhouse because he's kind of got to assert his dominance. Otherwise, he's always going to be victimised by the other boys. Yeah. Peggy's upset and then Jane immediately goes to comfort Peggy. And then I think they just form they just like form a kind a... of bond, like a family kind yeah. of bond. Yeah, but all to say that like they're all together until they reach a certain age, and then the boys are completely segregated from the girls, and the, and then yeah. so and so regardless of family connection or anything, the the kids are broken up, and so Frank goes to live in this kind of like other horrible, dingy like prison. Like well, he gets taken. Obviously, he gets taken to the boy part of the workhouse, but then when he's eleven, he's taken from the workhouse completely to be a coster. Yeah, well, he he kind of gets like rented out essentially. I mean, like the the master is like, okay, you can have him if you give him give me this much money or. Whatever whatever like that and then they and then he he goes and he basically starts to learn this trade which is a good thing although it's obviously a very tough tough way of life just seems a really brutal way of life already oh yeah and obviously in the series peggy peggy and frank's story doesn't cross with james but in the book it says james seemed more relaxed when peggy was in the house she smiled more readily and seemed if possible less apprehensive so they've obviously got that bond yeah Mm -hmm. so then frank works really hard and then doesn't really think about because he's only 11 and it's it's a lot to think about all his new career basically his new way of life and and he's already been separated He's already been separated from Peggy for years at that point. Exactly. So like they, then, bo- they they say in the book, they both for- forgot they even had a sibling. Yeah. Well, then it just kind of weighed on him. Like he just realized and then well, he worked hard. When, to... he, when he when he was like 13, some flash made him think about her and then it kind of never went away. And after so many years of them being apart, he suddenly decided he had this mission that he was going to get his sister out. And sorry, do you want to keep telling the Well, no, and, and he did. And he worked really hard. Well, so her. in the series, in the opening scene where we meet Frank, he's got almost an apprentice that he's training up called Tip but actually that's the portrayal of Frank so Frank was that apprentice and Tip was who got him out of the workhouse yeah um so it's kind of the role reversal there, which yeah. I quite and Frank like. was a natty dresser in in the TV show, but obviously he'd taken that from Tip. Tip, yeah, yeah. And also, it does say, and it was nine years before brother and sister saw each other again, and by that time they did not recognize each other. Now, when I read that, you know, you hear. I mean, I don't think this happens, but you know, sometimes when people are incestuous, it's like they've been separated and they just are drawn to one another and they've got a bond, yeah. and then. Yeah. Then they discover that they're related and it's too late. <laughs> well, yeah. So I was thinking perhaps it was something like that. But no, they were in full knowledge that they were brother and sister. They I, were, don't think, but... I don't think they really realise. I don't think they haven't grown up in normal society, have they? They've grown up in the most harshest of environments where they're not actually taught real yeah. life lessons. They're just horrible. Also, they, they, you know, don't, they just work horses. Yeah. And they, they also don't have a relationship with each other as brother and sister. I mean, like, you know, it's it's like, have you ever had this thing where you like meet someone when you're like 15 and it's like, oh, this is your like great aunt. And you're like, okay, but like, yes, I know that's the, the official And then you label. sleep with your great aunt. <laughs> but it's like, that's just a label, right? Like, that person doesn't technically mean that to you. Like, you don't look at that person and think, like, oh, that's family. You know what I mean? Like, like mentally, there's a lot of things that are going on here that, like, don't also, mimic can I also any just kind say, of normal she was, sibling relationship. They both were very young. I, I kind of feel like he was 16, but he was 16. She was 12, wasn't she? Or was she 13? He was 16 and she was 12, Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. but I don't. But I don't think like that part of their relationship started at that point. I just think the idea was then that they like. Oh, it did because no. I mean, well, really Jennifer Worth said it did. We because, don't know again. I don't, I don't think they, I don't think they had license. 
I don't think they had full sex at at 12 and 16. I don't that's not exact that's not how I saw that. No, at all. but the first night there's a lot of undercover. But again, how would Jennifer Worth know that? Jennifer you know I mean? Worth wouldn't know that. Yeah. The exactly. Way, the, the, way she, the way she said it was let me let me just find it here. Hold on. It says their union was as inevitable as it was innocent. So I took inevitable to mean like it's gonna happen at some point, but it's not happening anytime now. Oh see, you know, I took like, I I took it as that night, but either way, I just thought no. No, I don't. Yeah. Well, and and who knows, right? And it doesn't, it doesn't even really matter when it happened or what, what the comp. I can't read this paragraph out, but you've read the last sentence of that paragraph, Jen. Read the first paragraph. Read the, don't read it out loud. I know, I, I know what it says. I know what it says. I know. I, it, yes, it, impl- it it definitely implies the full incestuous relationship that they discuss on the show. I I do get it, but I just I just don't think that two kids who are their age that have like literally reconnected on the first day like are gonna I didn't I didn't read it as like that's immediately gonna begin this like huge affair I just did not see it that way I thought their children they're still very young like they're figuring things out they they They've obviously feel been very... through abject hell and now yes. they've got some comfort in each other yes and well, like yeah. every like all of the psychological frameworks that we have in our lives like are completely not at all what they have in terms of how they're operating they don't no. have normal family relationships they don't have normal experiences they don't have like you know frank is set up as this big protector of peggy peggy looks up to frank as like the savior because he's the only family member that really is connected with her like i mean it's just it's just this huge psychological gobbledygook and like i just think in that situation it totally makes sense that they're gonna have just a complete mess of like feelings that are all you know twined up together and like who knows you know what i mean i'm gonna say something controversial here i feel like this storyline not storyline the storyline when we first watched it if you remember I was very, very, very judging on the incest and yep. very against it. Not How could I it. forget? How could I forget? Yeah. I am very much, not in support, support's a very harsh word, but I can understand from the way they spoke about their upbringings more in detail. Yeah. And the way they were, I just thought, oh, bless them, like some comfort. And I can see why Sister Julianne was a lot more understanding than I was, which, I you know, she's not anyway. Of course, she would be. I I think understanding is a good way of saying it, you know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And it does suggest that it was more common because it says the sisters had seen it all before many, many times in cramped living conditions where a family of 10, 12, 15 or more lived in one or two rooms. Incest was hardly surprising. Families kept their secrets and the sisters did not comment or judge. Yeah. 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 Which I think I can understand now from reading the description. I know obviously there's artistic license and everything, but there's obviously she knew a lot more about the workhouses and everything and they've gone more into detail than they can in an episode. Yeah. So I, I do get it. And also it's true because obviously in the actual TV show, Peggy did kill herself the night that Frank died and they tried to protect each other uh, by saying to the nuns, don't tell them this and don't tell them that and vice versa. So they did, well, that was very true to the book as well. Just Yeah, and just to say, I I mean, the... And when we went, sorry, Jen, I know you're trying to find your bit, I'll just say this No, one. yeah, go ahead, go ahead. At the start, we, we spoke about how Jane kind of longingly wished she had a brother and they made fun of because they said it was a lover that she needed. And I think that's why Jane longed to have a brother because she saw that Peggy had her had a protector yeah and bless frank like he had to earn the equivalent of twenty five thousand pounds i know just to be able to prove to the workhouse that he could support her i know mm. and that just shows you how hard it was for people to get out of there because obviously they tried to make it hard for people to get out of there because it was free labor mm. back to the point where we were first starting yeah sorry just just at the end i'll just say like 
the the show kind of tied it up a little bit differently um in that Peggy makes a comment to Jenny uh, kind of acknowledging what their relationship is in this very I thought very interesting way you know like we're not just brother and sister we're not even man and wife we're just something else like but like literally like there isn't one without the other one like we ha- we're so connected in our lives and that is kind of what gets mimicked in this last scene because when pet when Frank just like in this in the show Frank gets diagnosed with cancer and he's really really declining it's very obvious that he's not going he's not gonna kind of he's getting worse and worse the scene happens the same where you know um Frank passes away while Jenny is there and Peggy says to Jenny like please just like let us have this one last night together and then the undertakers can come in the morning we'll deal with everything then and don't let anyone in right exactly and then Jenny's like you know what okay honestly like I get it that that makes sense and so Peggy basically you know you can I mean the way that it's described in the book she she knew that this was what she was going to do like this was how she was going to kind of you know end her life well I think they showed that in the in the show as well they did they did I it's just a little bit more detailed I guess in the book but but yeah then then they come in the next morning and she's gone basically yeah. so and Jenny feels Went really together. guilty like she should have known but you know I mean they're just they they were just so intrinsically linked there wasn't any way for them to be any different so. yeah yeah but bless them and that's that goes for Jane and them intrinsically linked um, yeah. and that wasn't reflected in the show mm-hmm. so that's mm. that's interesting yeah yeah, yeah. now I think we're running out of time ladies for this so should yeah. we head on to part two I think so Right, so we shall say thank you very much for listening and next week we shall be releasing part two, but we're going to record it right now. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Thanks for listening. Yes, we'll see you next week. Bye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.